0: So I was mentioning just before that I kinda I had just right before this podcast, I was sitting down and I was like, I need to, you know, just kind of waste some time. And so I pulled up a notification on my phone and the headline of it was that this guy was eaten that was he was like in the mouth of a hippo three different times. Like eaten by a hippo three different times. So this freaking in the same day. Yes. One massive attack. That freaking guy was a safari guide and he went on some boats taking some safari people and he got knocked off. So like they're going down this, you know, they're going down this river and then suddenly he gets knocked off. And when he falls into the river, he falls in and he's like, Oh, this is weird. Cause like my, my legs are wet, but it is, I'm not wet and half of him was inside his whole top half of his body was inside the hippo. And I guess he was too far down. So it spat him out and then he gets attacked underneath and a different male hippo grabs him underneath and now his legs are in. So then he tries like to go for his gun. He's just like getting thrown around. And then, uh, and then it lets him go. And then another hippo comes from the side. So he's now been like the front, the under, the side and now he's in the side and it's just like tearing him up like a ragdoll <laughs> and then this kayaker guy comes out and like and saves his life and they thought he was gonna lose <laughs> what? like a leg and both of his arms he only wound up losing one arm and then this freaking dude goes and paddles he they, they did the most of the zambezi river which has like crazy crazy rapids and he was going down you know like that and it's just what in the actual world and I thought that that was an amazing story, what? and I thought well worth a, a beginning, a beginning thing. And I literally listened; or I read that right before this, and
1: that's wild. What What is your reaction to that story? <laughs> wait, you need to know. Oh, wait, hold up. This guy, he was eaten by three different hippos, and 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 only lost an arm. Yes, which sounds completely improbable, but. But a guy in a kayak saved him. This dude who's just kayaking down the river is like those hippos are attacking that man. And I'm going to risk you. my life. I got you, man.
0: Yeah. And then <laughs> he goes over there. And then hippos. but the thing is, is like he didn't like pull him up on the kayak. Like, so he's just like being dragged by the kayak. There's still all these hippos around. But like I'm always so afraid of of things like coming up from you know, like the bottom. And dude, anyway. This guy's, like, getting thrashed around by the hippos. Why is
1: he kayaking in a hippo river?
0: Well, the thing is, is, like, I think that they were on the Zambezi River, and apparently there's not, like, a ton of hippos in that area. And, you know, they're, like, floating, and they're, like, oh, fetch. We're, like, floating into the hippos. There was like, a mom and her calf, and it was just all a nightmare. It's a really long article. But it actually, like, totally flows perfectly into a book that I had totally planned on sharing about today, but that, like, I just – Read that, and I was like, "Oh man!" And it's actually the discovery, or the potential discovery of the source of the Nile. So, uh, the book that I have is called "Explorers of the Nile." And you know, back at back in the you know late eighteen hundreds, you know, or mid to late eighteen hundreds, like the exploration place was Africa. You know, like filling in the maps, trying to understand, and everybody though wanted to know the source of the Nile River. And so, this book kind of explores the lives of the different explorers and, and interacting with, with the Nile and trying to find the source. And I, I kind of thought like, you know, how hard is it to find the source of a river? You know, like you, you go up the river, you know, until it's done. You know what I mean? Like for some reason, like you, you don't just keep walking. You just, you keep going. I mean, you got water. Yeah. You know, and you follow the water to when there's no water. Right. And I was like, oh, literally like have a trail. Why is this so why is this so hard? I don't know. But then you get into it and then you realize that there's, you know, there's a bunch of tributaries that come into the Nile. And so trying to follow the exact pathway of the Nile is super hard. Anyway, so it's this book. It kind of starts out with this guy um, uh, named David Livingston. So David Livingston is a is a legend. He went over there as a missionary to Africa as a missionary. Fell in love with the country, started to becoming an explorer, and he he searched for the Nile. He actually died kind of in the pursuit. There's this whole other thing about this whole story of people trying to find Livingston and like taking years to try and find him. But the book, the majority of the book centers on two different explorers. One is named Richard Burton, and the other one is named I know I I, I love his middle name, so I want to make sure to get it right. But like John Hanning Speak. He just like sounds such like a explorer name, Um John and so these two speak, yeah, and they're both sounds like a, well, all of them are who has a lot of money. Yeah, you know, I don't actually know if he had a lot of money, but he did make a lot of money from being an explorer because they were like the rock stars of the day, like explorers, like that was the cool thing to do. Um, How and he make money really, as an explorer, so you make speaking on the, on the yeah speaking and writing books afterwards. Um, but Richard Burton was already a pretty famous explorer. In fact, he was the first white dude to see Mecca. So he actually took a pilgrimage to Mecca, like dressed up, you know, and, and managed to make it all the way to see, you know, kind of do a simulated pilgrimage going to Mecca. And he was really popular, really famous. And John Speak was, um, kind of this up and coming guy and the whole story is that while they're on this expedition they both actually you know um richard burton gets really sick and can't really complete the expedition but they both kind of independently start going their own ways to try and find the source of the nile and both of them claim to have found the source of the nile on two in two separate places so then they go in this like this whole battle of trying to find out who's really legitimate and it's it's weird because like when you look in different sources they say okay it sounds like like John Speak found it. And then there's a couple of sources that maybe kind of like go with Burton, but most of them are with Speak. And then there's some that say actually neither one of them found it and it was, you know, and it wasn't found until like the 1960s with like satellite or like the 1980s with satellite footage. You know, like the true source of the Nile. I'm like there's a lot of confusion about trying to find the source of the Nile. Um but yeah, it's just this whole crazy epic extor- you know, story of adventure of you know, these expeditions trying to find the source of the Nile and how dramatic it was and some of the other really cool characters that that they meet. And so overall, very exciting, very exciting book. I think it, I think that the reason why it was uh, so exciting from like the adventure perspective was trying to find things that are new, but then you kind of get the perspective of like, there were people there forever. So like, you know, it's kind of like when you have exploration in the West, it's like, well, I mean, there were indigenous people there that knew all of these different things. They had been there for a really long time. And so, uh, I think what I liked about the book was also trying to take their perspective and, you know, saying, you know, at the end of the day, this is an African story and Africans were all there. And they were also the ones that were helping to make these discoveries. Um, and obviously there was a lot Mm -hmm. of horrible things, you know, that happened to them and mistreatment. But, uh, I would say though, that overall, there's a lot of really positive stories uh, that kind of come, come out of that. And I think that you know, a lot of the people there didn't really see a whole lot of value from discovering the source of the Nile, but it was a, a way for people to make money granted in a very dangerous vocation. But I think it, you know, it just really, I think that the book though, really did give me kind of the sense for what it was like to kind of enter into that world. Um, you know, I, I, I would think as I'd read this, you know, I spent some time in Ghana and, and you know, it felt so wild in some places, but like it's obviously not wild. Um, but then to kind of think of that experience of what I considered wild and then thinking it, it actually being wild must have been pretty scary. Right. Because of the hippos. Because hippos because are of the hippos. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and they would like do these river I expeditions. Mean... And I thought about that. You know, there's crocodiles and you know, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. And they were all right. For me though, well, I actually them... think what is most scary are gorillas. Like, if I... I don't know why, but I feel like gorillas would be very scary. So it's kind of a toss-up. It's like, you know, if I'm on land, gorilla v. hippo, gonna take the hippo because he's a little out of his element.
1: But both of those animals very scary to me. Well, yeah, and I'm definitely not taking the gorilla in water. I mean, I'm not really familiar with the nautical exploits of gorillas um maybe we'll read a book about that but I I both seem like a, a, a no-win situation for me you know it doesn't it doesn't seem like a good idea and you know the <laughs> with the kayaker like you know oh this is a place where there's supposedly not a, a lot of hippos. Isn't one hippo in the river too many hippos? I mean, isn't isn't that... I mean, I, going back to what you were saying, it's just very exciting but terrifying to think, you know, going into a place where there are many, many dangerous animals. Um, and not only that, it's just a place that you don't know you know, it's not where you're from. The vegetation's different. The animals are different. The dangers are different. You get malaria all the time, Just which is what they were plagued with all
0: the time. And, you know, other foreign things and having sores open all over because, you know, it's, you know, during the rainy season. Overall, not great, but they did it. And that was interesting. And it was fun to listen to. I thought that it was a fun book. I, the, there's another book that's, um, about the same topic that I haven't listened to yet by Candace Millard, who's one of my favorite historical authors. And uh, I think now that enough time has passed that I'd really like to kind of pick back up the story. So, um, I'm probably gonna listen to that. And, uh, but so anyway, overall I found it really exciting cause it's definitely a piece of history that I'm just not super familiar with, but obviously has to do with a, one of our continents and one of the, you know, deals with the subject matter of one of the largest rivers in the world. So anyway, Overall, I thought it was great, uh, but Kevin would love to he- hear about what you're listening to. Um,
1: I'm going to dive right into that, but before we do that, I think the, the biggest question is who was right as far as the source of the Nile? Nobody knows. So people are split. They
0: Still, people are yes. split on... Well, yeah, some people say it was Burton, some people say it was Speak, and then some people say neither one of them found it, and then they found it via satellite in, the, like, the
1: 80s or something. Oh, so, like, they're they. it's not like Burton said this is location A, and the other guy's, like, it's location B. It's like they both just claimed to have found it first. Yes. Well, oh, but okay. then, but, but,
0: but I mean, the satellite images actually say something totally different. The satellite images say, oh, well, maybe it's actually here, and maybe they didn't actually mean right here. So, like, there's just a whole bunch of controversy around it. Um, so it's hard to say. It's hard to say either way, like, cause they were around Lake Victoria, and then, like, the satellite images claimed that, you know, the book didn't really go into as much about who was actually right, just more about like the contention part. And then they left it saying that nobody really knows. Right. Right. And so, That was kind of exciting.
1: But yeah, yeah, overall, overall it was fun. So, um, so I've read, uh, I've been stepping on my element a little bit lately. Um, one thing that I like about reading books and, and trying to read a lot of books is trying to get out of my element of of interest you know because if if i had you know if i just purely read if i felt no desire to expand my horizons i'd literally just be reading fantasy and science fiction and primarily lit rpg books at least for the last little bit that that's what i'd be doing and that is a large percentage of what i'm doing but you know i like to I like to find books that other people think are interesting on topics that I don't think are interesting and try to learn about it, try to understand it. And that led me to uh, read the book Spare by Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex. Um, I know this was, you know, at the beginning of the year, this big deal of this book was coming out. And I had no idea why, besides the fact that somebody from the royal family had written a book which I come to learn later was actually a big deal that there was a book at all and then to learn some of the drama around him that I was just completely unaware about I thought that was it was really interesting to learn because you know the royal family and royalty in general is you know I understand a lot of people have are really interested in you know learning about the Royal family and the King and Queen. And I watched, I watched a few episodes of the crown, like five years ago or so. And I thought like, man, this is a beautiful, beautiful show, beautiful cinematography. Heaven knows I had no idea what was happening. And that's pretty much where I left it. So that, (laughs) you know, um, I know Princess Diana was somebody, for sure, was somebody and was very important to many people. And that's really about where I was. So um, you ever seen The Crown? I have not. I have not.
0: But uh, Megan has always, my wife has been very interested in the royal family. So vicariously, I hear facts and then I store them away for
1: conversations like this. So do, did you, you know, I read, a, you know, this book. Do you know who Prince Harry the Duke of Sussex is, which is a dope I do. title. I don't know what or where Sussex is, but um, he's the Duke of it. I yep. think maybe yep. he's still the Duke. Honestly, I wasn't 100% sure on that by the end. Yeah, I
0: don't know if he had his title stripped away as well, or if it was just
1: that his kids don't have titles or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, basically the book really just went through his life. And actually the majority of the book was – so, you know, he got married to Meghan Markle and they had some type of split with the royal family. And I, they live like in California. Um, I'm pretty sure they currently live in California. I think they lived in Canada for a while, but I think they live in California right now. Um, but, you know, but most of the book was about his early life. And I didn't know this, but Princess Diana was his mom. And that is a, a, a really big storyline throughout the book. You know he was really close to his mom when he was young but she died when you know when he was quite young but old enough certainly to remember her and just how that event was was really really tragic and 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 was and still is with him throughout his life um which i thought was really interesting not interesting that it happened right but you know i think generally with the british monarchy you know, I you associate a lot of stoicism, you know, uh, regality, if that's a word, it sounds like a word, I think it's a word, regalness, regalosity, um, maybe that's it, that's probably not it. But, you know, you don't really think about them being very emotional. And, you know, I don't really know them, you know, outside of reading this book. And, you know, from the book, you get the impression that Nobody else in the family really is, but, you know, Prince Harry really is very emotionally transparent. He's very much like, this is how I felt, and this was really hard on me. And, you know, apparently he made a lot of mistakes as a kid, and he seemed very open about those mistakes, you know, growing up, you know, where times where he didn't, I guess, represent the family well. Maybe that's how you want to say it, but. It was just really interesting, you know, and I I didn't know that he'd served in the military, apparently with with not a little bit of distinction, you know, and I think I was was telling you that was a, you know, uh,
0: pilot um, and he was doing this interview once and I need to send the video to you. But like he's literally in the middle of the interview and then like the sirens go off to say, hey, everybody to your ships. And he just like. Like doesn't even think about it. You just see his like soldier mode turn on. And he just takes off the, the the thing and just runs. You know, no nothing. I mean, it's it is honestly one of like the. It's amazing. It honestly is such a manly moment. I, cool. I I I still Respect. remember seeing that. Yeah, it just like you could just see Respect. that like he wasn't just a, a member of the royal family. Like he was a soldier, and you could see that. You know, in that moment, and I thought that was really cool. Right. Um. Yeah, and I as well like. I don't know a ton about him, but you know, what was it that had kind of led to his split from the royal family? Like
1: what was what was that whole drama about? So it seemed like there were a lot of things. Um one of the one of the main kind of themes there kind of seemed to be two themes that really exacerbated the split. I think the first one is uh, you know, and this is not something I knew anything about and maybe I just don't pay enough attention to these type of things, or maybe the U S media is different or just, it's is not picking up as much steam, but you know, throughout his lifetime, apparently the media got just more and more and more aggressive against the Royal family to a point where they were just constantly hounded, you know, throughout his entire life, um, really you know he put a tiny toe out of line just kind of got blackballed and just constantly harangued and it's something that he seemed to take really personally like he tried not to pay attention to it but you know it was really tough especially when they were blatantly saying lies and especially when he was going getting married um people just going after going after uh, megan markle just really just attacking her and her family um, in a way that just really, just kind of, really made their lives miserable. Why and were they attacking Megan so though? Um. So, I mean, just basically, she's she's American. She's not white. Um, she's not there. She's an actress, which apparently carries a lot of connotation with them. I can't recall if she was divorced. I felt like that was a part of it too. I I don't actually remember. Maybe she wasn't divorced. But, you know, they just really went after her, you know, for not fitting this mold. And it kind of seemed to have a lot of overtones of Princess Diana, who as well, you know, didn't seem to fit the mold. She was very charismatic, wasn't very stoic. She did stick out, which is apparently not something you're supposed to do. Um, really, unless you're the, the queen or king or next in line, you're not supposed to stick out at all. And, you know, and they were very vivacious. You know, they were their own person. They didn't always stand on ceremony. You know, they were nice, normal people. And that is not a mold that fit or fits really well in the royal family. And they just got blasted for that constantly. So there was that. And then the the other side of that is that that was one thing but that her, the family was consistently unwilling to back him up to to call out the press to to <clears throat> argue and fight against libel and and straight out lies and and inappropriate slander and racism and that they were just com- like oh well you know it's happened to the other princesses, but just, it's like, oh, this is actually different. People are actually being much worse. Uh, Megan is getting death threats. Um, You know, people are being, it, it is just a completely different scenario. And just everybody, you know, from the book's perspective, from Prince Harry's perspective, that people essentially just wanted him to shut up and just, just endure it because he wasn't next in line. And he was in essence, the spare, you know, they, they go the a theme that uh, they hit on a lot is, you know, apparently um, Prince Harry's dad once said, once Harry was born that his duty was done because now he had an heir and a spare. And so he goes through this theme of being treated like, and feeling like not just from his family, but from everybody that he's the spare, that he's not as important that, um, and I guess in a In some sense to the royal family he he wasn't because he wasn't next in line he he was indeed despair just in case prince william died and but and just he could the the lack of i mean you know king charles is fairly old you know who knows what happens to
0: william you know i just wonder what you know as you're talking like you know i just can't help but you know think of like what 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 would the family say and i don't really know very much about this topic but like you know, clearly they are all on the same page, you know, and it does kind of make you think, you know, to some extent, you know, you're born, right. And we're all born in different circumstances. They're born in a lot of circumstances. Do you owe, you know, the circumstances, anything, do you not owe the circumstances, anything, you know, like they're a very influential family in the world. They do a lot of philanthropic stuff, you know um, I can see where a lot of people would be like, would criticize him and say, I mean, you know, you kind of were like born in a castle, what do you have to complain about? But everybody's problems are very real. And they're very real to him, you know, and just because he was born in a certain way, they're going to be equally as real as a poor person's problems to him, you know, because we always make our problems as e- regardless of if they are comparable, but like the way that we emotionally feel about them you know, are still the same. It's just interesting. I just wonder, you know, like this family, right? Like there hasn't been a whole lot of drama for at least a lot of years, at least as long as I've been alive. And now there's this big drama. Nobody else is diverging from the family. What would they say? What's their side of the story? They're not coming out with a book. He's the one coming out with a book. You know, what does that mean? I mean, clearly he's got to know, like, you know, he and Megan live a pretty dang good life. But it just kind of goes to show that, like, it doesn't really matter how good of your life could be if you're not good on the inside or if your close family relationships aren't good, then like literally it counterbalances all this other good stuff. I don't know. To me, it like, like this whole situation, like just breeds so
1: many questions for me. You know, and it's interesting that you brought it up because I do feel like one of the major themes of the book And one of the things he was trying to get across both overtly and covertly was kind of that theme you're talking about. Like, yeah, a lot of people say, you know, I'm a, I'm a prince. I was born in a castle. I've had so much given to me. I have no right to complain, but like, Hey, this is real. Like the challenges that I dealt with are real mental health issues that I've dealt with are real. The attacks on me, you know, the personal attacks have been real and, and it's not, it's not easy you know, they, that, you know, it is hard and, and you, you do feel that throughout the book. You're like, hmm, that sounds absolutely miserable to exist like that, you know? And like, like and, I, and I can kind of see, you like know, like when nightmare. you're like
0: super, you know, you are totally like, you know, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but like he has to adhere to the program and you can't really deviate from the program. You know, that to me is so difficult and stringent and it's probably really difficult to try and find your own you know, place. You know, at the same time, like, I wonder how much of the book was gratitude. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, like, cause yeah, there there is a lot of issues not very much. Yeah, I mean, but also like, where's the gratitude to kind of help balance out that? And I'm not saying like he has to be grateful that his family is, you know, you don't have to be grateful for all the bad things in your life, but you know, gotta be some good. He has a loving wife, hopefully. He has great children, I presume. And that's more than what a lot of people have, you know, he does have financial security, that's a lot, you know, more of what other people have. He has his health, it looks like, you know, I mean, like, there is some things there that not a lot of people do have. And and as you kind of just said, there isn't a lot of gratitude. Um, hopefully he feels that, well, you know,
1: I, and I hope that with some perspective, I, he, he can feel it. Well, I guess, there's a lot of gratitude. I think, you know, he has infinitely good things to say about his wife and his, his family, his children, no, like, that's good. nothing but positive things. And, you know, and, and I think he's very happy with where he is right now. Um, You didn't really get that feeling that ever he was like, man, I, I feel blessed to be a Royal. Like, yeah, there's bad stuff, but there's also good stuff. Never really felt that never felt, you know, and I, I never also got the theme that like, Hey, because I'm, because I'm royalty, I have a certain responsibility. like you get that a little bit, and certainly he exudes it with he wanted to serve in the military and you know right. his his other uh, philanthropic works. like you do get that, but it's not really an overt theme. and maybe that's on purpose. but one one thing though that I thought was super interesting is that when he got cut off from the family, he got cut off completely financially. So, right, but I mean,
0: Meghan Markle, I'm
1: sure, wasn't which, doing too poorly, you know.
0: I mean, so maybe it's like the difference n- no, between I mean, having, you know, seven digits versus eight
1: digits, you know. Right, I, I I doubt she was, you know, I mean, she was on, I believe the show was called Suits for like eight seasons. Yeah. You know, she was a famous actress, but here's, here's a point that they made. So like, you know, imagine, you know, you have constant death threats, you have constant things around you, but they took away the security. Oh, that's not, you know, year round security is like $5 million a year. Oh, like that's the, one of the numbers he threw out. So like, jeez, didn't think not only, not only when they, and, and also think about this, he was not allowed to make money as the prince. He wasn't allowed to go out and to be a stockbroker and to amass his own personal fortune. You know, he wasn't allowed to make money off of his brand. He wasn't allowed to go on his own speaking engagements. He wasn't allowed to do any of that stuff. You know, like, it's like, oh yeah, you get all your money from the crown, but you're also, you can't get money from anywhere else, which isn't a big deal until you no longer get money from the crown. So he's cut off really abruptly, no security, nothing. He and his new wife, are in a place that's not their home they no longer have a home they no longer have you know really any money besides her money and they now have a a lifestyle like yeah their lifestyle is a lot but it's not just their lifestyle it's this their need or whether it was a real need or perceived need and it probably was a real need at least to some extent to have that security then you have this gigantic need and not just personal security, but you need to live in a place that's secure because there are crazy people. There are people who are a lot less public figures that have been killed for a lot crazier things. And, you know, so I think that dimension was like, oh, holy crap, that sucks. And also from his perspective, he didn't even know he was getting cut off. He thought they had created a a third, you know, a different alternative where it was gonna be kind of like step back, but they just pulled the rug out from under him and said, you know what? You know, we told you one thing, but now that you're out of the country, you're actually cut off and your security's coming back home to us right now. Like, what?
0: Yeah, it was pretty intense. I I uh I was thinking, you know, service I think always makes you happy. You know, I think that serving people makes you happy, and certainly when you look at his life, it seems that it's been nothing but service, and it seems like that's kind of hold the whole purpose behind the royal family. It is interesting though that maybe if your whole existence, you know, like if you are forced to serve almost, maybe you don't get all the benefits of service. I tend to think though that you'd still get some because you know, like it's still service. It is just interesting though, despite all of this, how he couldn't have had that empathy and that love because, you know, as you serve, you get love. It's just interesting that like his life is all about service yet. It doesn't seem like he gets any of the benefits of doing any of that service. It's kind of a bummer.
1: Um, hmm. Right. Well, interesting book. I think one of the, yeah, no, it's definitely something that even if you're not really interested in it, I think it's interesting you know if anything just to give you a perspective and make you think about things that you've never thought about before and if the royal family is interesting to you it was it's probably a really interesting book because that's what it's about um but what what about you what what other books have you been reading lately
0: well the other book that i had wanted to highlight was called scars and stripes um it is a actually kind of like a little complimentary a little bit in terms of, you know, it's a, it's another memoir that's written, but just totally different style, you know, in the way that that is such a British story, this one is truly an American story. So it's about this guy named Tim, Tim Kennedy, like his overall biography is that he was a green beret who then turned into uh, a WWE fighter, which is crazy. And then he, uh, and then finally he uh oh wait i'm sorry i always get confused is it mma or wwe i always get so confused I feel like i need MMA to like, look at my is, name. mma mma he's an mma so fighter like when you're... not wwe okay my bad i that's, don't know anything about that's fighting. different right um and then um so he and then finally it kind of goes into what he's doing now and the whole book kind of ends with him going into afghanistan to try and help save people and gives a really interesting kind of on the on the ground perspective of the recent military extraction from Afghanistan. But uh, so Tim Kennedy is born in San Luis Obispo, uh, eventually goes to high school in San Antonio. But what I found really interesting about his story was like very crazy kid growing up, you can really start to kind of see like the very Uh, he he was a wrestler. Like you can start to see like the physical strength. One of the cool things about him is that because he was a wrestler and I know that like Kevin, you were wrestler in high school, but like, because he was a wrestler, it made him so deadly when he eventually got into his military training because he could already, he could just lay out anybody because it's not just about strength and about size. It's about the skill and he had the skill, strength, and the size. So he just wasted everybody. We can get a little bit more into that, but, um, Probably one of the craziest stories, though, so he he becomes an EMT. He is like witness to this horrible accident. So he's trying to figure out his life. He tries to become a firefighter, gets fired or he goes EMT, then firefighter. He had like wanted to become a cop. Um, That was like his big aspiration in life. You know, his dad was a cop. He wanted to be a cop and he he, you had to wait till you were a certain age in order to go to the academy. So he goes, he, he becomes an EMT, then a firefighter and then a cop. And he just winds up making really poor choices and winds up eventually getting fired as a cop. And that's, you know, what kind of led into September 11th happening and then him, uh, joining the military. But one of the things that I think is so, um, so crazy about his story is that he had had this girlfriend and, uh, you know, they were really serious but then they had a big fight and then they decided that they were broken up and then that night he actually goes and sleeps with another woman and and then he just kind of goes crazy just you know he's he's uh trying to become like an amateur fighter too um, among all of this stuff and uh anyways he finds out that then both of them are pregnant and he has to kind of take care and be a father now to, you know, two different women having two different babies. And it's kind of in that midst of that is when he is really, really lost with his life. He literally just hops into the water to go for a swim. And he just thinks to himself, "Ah, I'm all right, if I don't come back in, you know, but eventually, like a boat comes and picks him back up, picks him up. And, you know, he kind of makes the decision to live. And he went through a, a really interesting program that the military put on uh, cause normally it took you a really long time to get into special forces, but because the nature of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were so, so tailored towards having small special forces units, they had this program, um, where you could sign up and kind of immediately start the training for special forces. You know, there was some qualifications you had to go through, um, but it was kind of an accelerator course. And so he did that. He became a green beret, uh. After his first deployment, they said, hey, you're not experienced enough. So they sent him to ranger school. And then he, you know, he does deployments to both Afghanistan and to Iraq. But all the while, he's starting to fight. One, one of my favorite stories is that he, you know, goes, he's in, um, uh, what's the place where they have Mardi Gras? New Orleans. In Louisiana, New Orleans. He's in New Orleans and he's there for Mardi, Mardi Gras. And I guess that like they keep pulling these people in to go like fight for money. So they keep being like, hey, at this bar, you know, like, hey, who wants to fight for money or something like that? Or, you know, hey, we should go do that. Anyway, he, he goes and then he just starts winning and he starts winning and winning and winning. And he's making all this money just kind of from these street bar fights. And he just really wanted to take fighting seriously. And so kind of my favorite part of the book was he starts to fight in the MMA as a professional, but it starts to conflict with his military life. And eventually the military came down and he was like, you know, he was inspiring people and, you know, this whole other group of people to, to be affiliated with the military. And he was honestly doing it on weekends, you know, and whenever he could get away from, you know, his military responsibilities. And eventually the higher ups came down. They said, look, you can't, you can't do this anymore. You have to choose. And he chose the MMA. And he's actually still serving in the 19 special forces group. They have groups uh, in Utah and they also have one in Texas and he's out of the one in Texas. So he's still in the military. Um, in a special, you know, assigned to a special That's forces national unit, guard, but, right? Yeah, But he's in the national guard and then he has this incredible MMA career. And then, you know, he does a few very entrepreneurial things and then the whole book kind of culminates with him going back to Afghanistan and that whole process of getting into Afghanistan and then starting the whole, you know, process of trying to help their friends who had really helped them to, to get out of the country and pretty heartbreaking, pretty heartbreaking stuff. You know, very, very diligent, amazing, patri- you know, people that had been allies to America were totally left high and dry, and he he tells that story and doesn't really hold back any punches. But, um, this guy's story is insane. But I think that what is cool is that he was able to leverage, um, like one particular skill, and that was being really physical. He was able to like parlay it into so many different uh careers and i think that's really powerful you know when he really doubled down on a strength of his and then he was able to see a pathway to make a lot of money to you know do some really incredible things for the country uh overall very inspiring story i really enjoyed it a lot and he is hilarious and makes you laugh a lot
1: (laughs) i love a book that makes me laugh so question so you mentioned you know kind of the end that he's working to help get people out of afghanistan are these people who are from afghanistan who you know and now after you know the military presence primarily has left no longer have support that's he's trying to help those people who yeah well he's trying to help them during the evacuation because afterwards they're pretty much
0: all gonna die you know, and so will their families. So he's trying to help get them and their families out and is, you know, unsuccessful in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, it tells a story about this Marine Corps colonel that turns back two buses full of people that were qualified to leave, but because this colonel guy hadn't, you know, sanctioned it, he turned them away. And, you know, that caused the deaths of a lot of those people because they weren't able to kind of re come back, re engage. And you know, very unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate. I think that really what it, I I was just listening to this um, historical lecture, and it says that all empires die in the Middle East, and it tells the story of um, like uh, it tells the story of France, uh, it tells the story of England, and then it tells the story of America and a bunch of other you know countries throughout history that have pretty much gone to the Middle East to hopefully conquer it. The Middle East will never be conquered. And it's just like the one constant is that empires go there. They think that they can do something. Russia, you know, like all these different empires, they go and they wind up spending a bunch of money. They wind up spending a bunch of lives and then they get nowhere. And then their empires are too overextended. And then they, you know, they crumble. And it was just essentially about how like, dude, you can't come in to the Middle East and dominate it. It's just been the one constant throughout history is that it will do its own thing. And it was like a really interesting perspective. And I think kind of helped me see because, you know, freedom is not the default. I think a lot of the times we think as humans, we think that that freedom should be like human's default, but it's not, it's actually power, um, power is a default. And you look throughout history, like there's very, very few times, like in ancient Greece, where a democracy can actually, you know, flourish, you look at America there's very, very few times that freedom becomes the default. And then there's kind of this pattern that democracies have. And, you know, you look at, at the Middle East, and one of the things that this lecture was talking about anyway, of one of the reasons why the Middle East uh, can is because the only thing that competes with power is like religion and their religion is so strong and the religious roots there are so uh, strongly held that it doesn't leave room for other beliefs uh, including political beliefs. And so, you know, trying to introduce the idea of democracy, it just starts to, you know, conflict with a lot of, uh, their ideology. And anyway, it's just, it's just interesting. I'm not saying that like democracies won't eventually thrive in the Middle East, but they, they haven't. Um, and it's just, I, I think that it's interesting. It's just a good example that freedom is not the default people don't understand freedom. People understand power, And there's just very, very few times that freedom actually exists. And I think that it's kind of cool that it does exist in our country. We're we're very lucky that it does.
1: Indeed, I think, you know, learning about other places. It's very easy to criticize where you are. It's a place that you know well. And it's really easy to criticize, you know. All you have to do is watch the news. It's so easy to criticize everyone and everything. I'm not even saying that some of that criticism isn't completely warranted. But I think with that, it's also important to understand some of the blessings that we have. You know, and that's not to say that anybody who's not an American is suffering, you know, or worse off or something. But we do, there is something special you know, and I think that is, that is something, you know, that is something important. You know, it's, and it's just interesting to to learn more about these places. You know, you, I I actually, I like what they're, I feel like so much, you know, in like the news, like, oh, the military is pulling out of Afghanistan. And then that's the end of the story for most people, you know, or just like, okay, this is happening. And this is the end of the story. But the reality, life is just a lot more complicated that there is, there's a lot more that goes on there, you know, And and, you know, part of the story may be closed, but that doesn't, people still live there. Things are still happening you know those are still people those are still lives that are being affected whether a large military presence of a foreign power there or not for sure so what what's your uh, what's your other book that you wanted to review today yeah yeah but it got a little heavy there for a second uh, <laughs> but uh so i've um I read a book that is very, very different. Um, have actually taught, speaking of ideologies, um, I read a book called Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. Uh, and the, the title gives a lot away because the story is about Norse mythology and it's actually really cool because Neil Gaiman, who's, famous author American gods and a, and a bunch of other things. Um, he also reads the book, by the way, which I thought was really cool and he actually does a really good job. Um, there are a lot of authors who decide to read their own works where they don't do as good of a job. but there are a few who do and he he does he does a good job. and you know he's he's always been really fascinated with with uh, Norse mythology. It's been something that's you know ever since he was a little kid is something that he thought was really, really interesting. And he wanted to get more involved with, or not involved with, but he just wanted to learn more about it. And, uh, he takes a bunch of stories. There's tons of Norse mythology that isn't covered the books, you know, just over six hours, um, long. So it's not, it's not super long, but it just takes some of the, some stories and different time periods of the gods and just kind of just, uh, you know, it just has a few stories and it talks about the different ages, you know, kind of going from the beginning to the end to Ragnarok. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it talks about Thor and Loki. And, you know, my my extent of knowledge of Mor- Norse mythology really is just kind of the Marvel adaptations, which is not, you know, there are some elements there, but they're not as... Uh, you know it, it it's it's different obviously and i th- i thought it was really fun to kind of learn more about what what were these people like initially like thor you know um i feel like thor in the original marvel movies was probably a lot closer to thor in the mythology but you know as thor went on he got sillier and he got smarter and really in the in the mythology, he's just kind of a brute. He's a dude with a hammer. And he loves to solve every single problem with just being stronger than everybody else. And he just goes in and he bashes stuff. And it works pretty much all the time. And Loki is... I actually feel like they did a pretty good job with Loki because Loki is both good and terrible. And he actually is one of the main catalysts for Ragnarok. Um, So there are like these three main uh, beasts who are all children of Loki. You know, there's a wolf, a snake, and, you know, a giant dude with a sword. And they bring about Ragnarok, the end of the world, and they're all his kids for somehow. And... Just how, you know, it destroys everything except a few of the lesser gods of Thor's children and Odin's other children. And they just kind of start again. You know how it kind of essentially goes through all the history of time all the way back to the beginning again. This is really interesting, you know. And it talks about where Thor's hammer came from and uh, Odin's spear and why he only has one eye. Uh thought that was really interesting. It it tells essentially the story where um he goes into the land of the frost giants and uh there's a pool of of wisdom and in order to drink out of the pool he has to give give his eye. You know, he has to give something and he gives his eye. And the and he gets great wisdom and the whole thing is that he can now see further with one eye than he ever did with two, which I thought sounded actually really cool. Anyway, it was this. It was this awesome to learn more about Norse mythology, and you know, going back a little bit in our heritage, our, uh, you know, our great grandma was um, Norwegian. Her parents were Norwegian, and um, was that one more generation back?
0: No, that yeah, and so were our great grandfather as well. They were. Yeah. One, yeah, both of them were 100% Norwegian.
1: Yeah, so we have, um, yeah, so we, you know, that's part of our, you know, that's part of our heritage and something okay. I never learned about, but I just thought it was, it Let's was really, it. really interesting.
0: Right here. He's Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> but... While you but, were doing that, like yeah, did it kind of give the human component about like who created these gods, why they create them, what's the significance of their stories? Right. Because with every myth, there needs to be some sort of purpose. And mainly that is because somebody came up with it so that then they could teach some sort of lessons, you know, like the Odin lesson is a good lesson. But like, who, is, who are the kind of the ones talking about these? Why were they talking about them kind of deal? Does he ever get into that in the book?
1: Not really. So I actually recently also read uh, a book, Mythos, which is by Stephen Fry, who writes and like Neil Gaiman also reads it, and that's about Greek mythology. And that book does get so that book is almost three times as long, about fifteen hours. So you know, two um and a half, um, and it is it gives a lot more stories and it gives a lot more examples of specific myths that describe things. Um, Like it talks about, uh, you know, how there was this great weaver and it's, her name was like Arachna and how she challenged one of the gods to weaving. She was boasting that she was the best weaver and she challenged one of the gods to weaving and they did a weave off. And, uh, you know, when she, uh, when the God weaved, she weaved all these great things that the gods did, you know, the gods are so much better than humans. And when the human, when she was up, she was like, well, I'm not going to take that line down. So she did all these depictions of the gods doing frankly, terrible things of all the terrible things that Zeus and Poseidon and all the other gods have done to the humans. And this that like, gods aren't better than us. You know, gods are terrible. And after she finishes, she's so overcome with like, how could I have done this? And so she goes and hangs herself. Um, But then uh, the god, she's looking at it and she's like, this is the greatest, you know, looking at it. And like this, she's a better weaver than I am. I'm, I'm part of my realm is the god of weaving. And she outweaved me in a weave off. And how um, then she's like, well, she blessed her so that she would, you know, spin and yarn or weave forevermore. And so she brought really her back a surprise, from the dead Arachna, to weave. They, yeah, but, you know, her name was uh, like, I think it was like Arachna. And she becomes an Arachnid. She becomes, that's where spiders come from. You know, is this kind of what you were saying? Like they have. They give so many examples of, like, oh, this is where, you know, spiders come from because that happened. And they're there like 10 stories in a row, and they even talk about it, about where the different flowers come from, about different things happening, and essentially something happening, a god crossing a mortal, and either something really good or really bad happens and somehow becomes a flower. And, <laughs> um, but it's just, it's just interesting to, to see how the mythology, really tried to explain the world around him you know and tried to like you know our world is this way because you know weave off the great weave spider. off of because of the great weave off, bc you know right or like you know oh man or uh the thor the reason that there are tides is because he was Um, with one of the frost giants, he was competing with them in, a, and like they were all saying, or with the the frost giants, um, and they were competing with them, this, the host of frost giants and said, all right, what do you do prove to us that you belong here. And so, uh, they got into these different competitions and Loki went into eat off and some other guy who was like a servant, raced one of the giants and they all lost, but it turned out to all be illusions. And Thor said, I can drink. And so they give him a horn of mead to drink, which I mean, saying that you're drinking out of a horn. I'm not actually sure if it's like an act. It's probably not an actual horn, but it's just some type of cup, but all cups should be called horns. Got my horn right here. Cause that's just cool. Um, And he drinks and the, the frost giant says, okay, well, you know, even, uh, you know, all of, all of my, all the giants here can drink it in two. And so then he's, he's drinking it and he take he keeps taking these three sips. And even after three, he can't do it. And he's just jeering him and he drinks it again just to find out later, you know, and then they're like, oh, you guys don't belong here. Find out later, all of it was an illusion and the cup actually went to the bottom of the ocean. And the movement of him drinking so much that it actually caused uh, it actually caused a tide and it caused the ocean to move. And that's why tides happen. Because Thor drank so much out of the bottom of the ocean that the ocean just keeps moving and created a tide. You know, like, again, just like trying to explain the world around him through this mythology. And... But but you Thor, know, by the way, is and, still
0: there to this day.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, just trying to finish, trying to finish the horn. Um, but no, I just thought it was so interesting, and you know, and how many of uh, the Norse mythologies and the Greek mythologies centered around just finding something good to drink. About about a solid 20% of the stories were about finding the best beer or the best ambrosia or finding some honey to put in your fruit juice. Like they were just all about finding something to drink. And this is a thirsty bunch. <laughs> but thirsty you know, I, they it was really interesting, and it's it's not something I don't know why, but I always had this feeling that I knew something about mythology. You know, studying art history a bit. You know, you learn some of the stories. You learn a lot of the paintings. And you're like, I've seen, you know, this God in a painting. I know about them. And you actually don't know anything. And it isn't until you actually start reading these stories. You're like, oh, wow, there is so much here. Even in the the Mythos books, it's 15 hours. There's two more of them. And they still don't even get to everything. There's just so much. just thought that was so interesting. It's, just not, it's not something that I've ever really thought. I've never really thought to look it up. And I never thought I didn't know anything about it, but I don't. Have you ever read any mythology?
0: No, not really. But uh, I do. There is a... When you were talking about like seeing things in paintings, I still remember seeing the painting Sat, uh, Saturn Devouring His Son which I think has something to do in like the Greek mythology. And I just remember being like, I'm not super interested in learning that story. No, but um, I do I do, <laughs> I do, think it's really interesting. But more, I just think for me, the myths and the stories that we tell ourselves all have uh, purposes from the person who created them. And I always try and understand why, because you know, some myths are used for control, some are used for knowledge, some, you know, like, you know, like what you were saying about trying to just explain the world around you. For me, I just I'm, I'm, I'm interested in just seeing the way that people think, especially when there is no science, there is no structure, and you have to just kind of make it up. And uh, anyway, no, it's, it's really interesting. So yeah, thank, thanks for sharing your books. I actually think that's a great, a great place to to end there, because, you know, I think that it kind of leaves us off with some good things to think about. And uh, yeah, any final words you wanted to say, Kev?
1: No, just everyone. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Uh, let's, you know, let's keep listening to some great books. Till next time, we'll see you. Till next time, bye.